0: Hello and welcome to COVIDcast, a Lowy Institute podcast for anyone interested in understanding the effect of coronavirus on the world and international life. My name is Ben Scott, and I direct the Rules-Based Order Program at the Lowy Institute in Sydney, Australia. As this crisis unfolds, we're sitting down with experts from a range of fields to discuss the implications of coronavirus for the world. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Bobo Lowe non-resident fellow at the Lowy Institute and the author of the extremely readable new Lowy Institute paper, Global Order in the Shadow of the Coronavirus, China, Russia and the West, which you can find on our website. Hello, Bobo.
1: G'day, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for taking time to talk to us.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure.
0: Bobo, I want to start off by talking to you a bit about what we actually mean by liberal international or rules-based order. Your paper is very much about the failures and possible disappearance of that order. Uh, I want to start by asking you though, what you would say to those who argue that anyway, it was always a myth. International relations has always been about power.
1: Okay, well, I think to try and answer your question, uh, we need to start and have a, if you like, a a working definition of, of what a liberal international order constitutes. Now, everyone has their own interpretation or definition. Yes. My understanding of the liberal international order is the US-based, or US-led international order of the post-Cold War period. Following the collapse of the Soviet Union, you had one superpower only. And that superpower led an international order in its own interests, but also in its own view of the world. It set the rules, it ensured that Sometimes that other countries abided by those rules and it acted according to those rules not just for the sake of its own national interests but for the interests of a a broader international society. Now that is the liberal international order. So I do think it existed. The problem that we see today, is that that liberal international order has unraveled. The United States is not seen to be acting in the interests of a broader international society, but uh, for very narrow American national interests. It's like America first, Trump's thing of making America great again should come with a codicil at the expense of everyone else. And to me, that is the fundamental problem of the liberal international order. It's seen as an American order now. There's no longer much pretense at internationalism or a broader international good.
0: Great. And you would date that from about 2003, that decline? Or or is is it something that we're really talking about Trumpism here?
1: Look, it's blatant today, but we shouldn't uh, delude ourselves that it's just Trump's fault. Trump is to blame for everything. I think for much of the 1990s, uh, under the Clinton administration, the United States at least had a broader vision of the international good, and its uh, foreign policy was far from perfect. There were uh, clear breaches of rules. But I think Washington at least had uh, a broader view of the international interest, as well as, of course, of the American national interest. But I think that starts to unravel a bit in, uh, with the invasion of Iraq. Because the Bush administration uh, invaded Iraq over the objections of large parts of international society, including many of its allies, such as France and Germany. So it basically said, American national interest trumps the broader international good, or another way of putting it is, we decide what the international good is. So I think the idea of an international order starts to unravel then. By the way, it's not just the Iraq invasion. It's the U.S. withdrawal from the Kyoto Climate Agreement. Uh-huh. And so it's it's withdrawal from uh, the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. So basically, the, the Bush administration pulls the United States out of a lot of international agreement. Right. That damages the idea of a liberal international order. But of course, then you have a sort of a little bit of a comeback with uh, Obama But now what we're seeing is that there's no longer even the pretense of internationalism here.
0: Right. And turning to the present now, I mean, I really want to press you Bobo, on how bad you think it is. One uh, portion of your paper that really stuck out for me that I'm just going to read back to you. The concept of a rules-based international order has become increasingly devoid of substance. It is no longer clear what the rules are, who sets them, what moral authority underpins them, and most important, who follows them. It is questionable whether a single rules-based order exists or even that it is liberal. When I read that, I wondered really how much is there left to salvage. But then when I read on in your paper, I see that you really end up on a note of optimism or at least uh, you you see some kind of hope for rebuilding this order or at least a new form of this order.
1: Sure. I think that pretty much sums it up. Uh, The liberal international order will become extinct very soon. You simply cannot have a liberal international order uh, with a US president that has no respect for its norms and principles. Now, if Joe Biden gets up in the US presidential election this November, then I think you'll at least have a US government that will pay more than just lip service to a rules-based international order. Now, Biden is only a very, very small part of the solution. Much more needs to be done, but it's a start. But the problem is, Hmm. if Trump wins another term, then even the biggest fans, the, the most optimistic supporters of a liberal international order, even they will come to see that it no longer exists in any meaningful form. Now, the problem here is this, that... It's not just a U.S. problem or a Trump problem. It's also a problem in Europe as well, where you have a growing division between uh, sort of liberal, traditional liberal democracies. Mm-hmm. And others are now calling illiberal democracies in countries like Hungary and Poland, where they're basically saying the rules-based international order is about rules. It's not about liberalism. We believe in nationalism, we believe in democracy, we but we do not believe in liberalism. And there are a number of European countries that believe in that way. Uh, and so the problem is Europe itself is also fragmenting ideologically and normatively. And this means that there is no common understanding even of what it is to be the West. So Does the West have particular values? Does it have a particular purpose? Um, That is no longer clear. So if the West cannot, if you have the transatlantic consensus that's fragmenting, if you have growing um, European divisions, and you have a US president that clearly doesn't believe in rules-based governance, except interpreted very narrowly by Washington, then how on earth can you have a liberal international order? Now, being a little bit more optimistic, that can change. Trump could uh, be knocked out in November. The Europeans might see that, really, if they're to stay relevant in global politics, then they have to be more united. Mm-hmm. They have to uh, be much more cohesive and coherent, indeed. And the European and Western governments have to perform much better on two levels. They have to perform much better within their own societies, and they have to perform much better in addressing universal challenges now we've seen their sort of collective more or less total failure in addressing uh, the biggest crisis since the second world war namely the coronavirus pandemic but they've also not shown much uh, capacity to address other universal challenges such as climate change mm-hmm. such as growing global poverty and inequality so basically If Western democracies Mm can perform better at home, make more of an effort to try and live up to the principles of a liberal international order, and they are also shown to be more effective in addressing truly global, clear and present dangers such as climate change, then I think there is a future for a liberalism and a liberal world order. Now, no one said it's going to be easy. It's going to be extraordinarily difficult. But frankly, I don't see any alternative to if we're to create a future that truly benefits most of humanity.
0: Great. That's the responsibility uh, for the West uh, covered uh, beautifully there, Bobo, I think. And I very much like your prescription that we need to uh, really heal ourselves first. Your paper is also about China and Russia. And if I understand you correctly even though you, the West are the main culprits for this sorry state of affairs, wherein you do see China and Russia as having some responsibility. On the other hand, you maintain that uh, many of the assessments about uh, elevated cooperation between China and Russia are exaggerated, and it's really not quite, quite as big a deal as many claim. Before I ask you the question, I'm going to just uh, read something to you because your paper made me go back and have a look at the U.S. Intelligence Community's uh, 2019 Worldwide Threat Assessment, which had its very first dot point, uh, this point, China and Russia are more aligned than at any point since the mid-1950s and the relationship is likely to strengthen in the coming year as some of their interests and threat perceptions converge, particularly regarding perceived U.S. unilateralism and interventionism and Western promotion of democratic values and human rights. I wanted to ask whether you agree with that.
1: Okay. Let me try and answer in in this way. The China-Russia relationship is neither as strong nor as weak as many Western observers claim it to be. So uh, I'll elaborate. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, if you're sitting in Beijing and Moscow, you think this relationship is now better, closer, Uh, more coordinated, more effective than it's ever been in the history of the two countries. Uh, The bilateral relationship is booming. Clearly, Moscow and Beijing agree on many international issues, not least to the undesirability of an overly powerful United States. So, definitely they agree on much. It would be idle to deny. it. It's also a, a very resilient relationship. So... While Moscow and Beijing disagree on some issues, these divergences aren't such as to undermine their overall relationship. So the relationship is doing well. Right. No use denying it. However, Western observers tend to grossly overestimate the degree of coordination between Chinese and Russian policies. They talk in terms of, you know, axis of authoritarianism, a quasi alliance, uh, but it's a mistake on a number of levels. For one thing, China and Russia have very different views of the international system and they have very different visions of a future global order. So the Chinese think and want the U.S.-led international order, the liberal international order, if you like, They have been the primary beneficiary of that order over the last 30 years. The Russians, by contrast, think that this order has done them wrong, Mm -hmm. that this order has systematically uh, sought to marginalise Russia from its rightful place in world politics. Um, And then, as for a future vision, when you talk to Chinese uh, behind closed doors, The way they see the world is a kind of a G2+. plus. So the U.S.-China relationship, the the interaction between them, it is essentially the pivot of global governance, of global order. Now, of course, other major powers and countries and international institutions all play important roles, but the essential relationship is the U.S.-China relationship. Now, that would be competitive, but there'll be a lot of cooperation there. So that's essentially the Chinese view. Now, the Russians, the Russians don't... (laughs) That that is almost the opposite to the Russian view because they see that if a future world order uh, revolves around the US-China relationship, well, then Russia just becomes another second-tier or even third-tier power. Essentially, its influence becomes marginalised. So what the Russians really want is a kind of concert of great powers, or even better, a a Yalta 2.0. So instead of Stalin... Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt, you have Xi Jinping, Donald Trump, and of course, Vladimir Putin. And so Russia might not be quite as powerful as the other two countries, but it would have a status that would be at least equal to the other two. And in certain circumstances, it would be that swing power between China and the United States. So it would be third wheel, but it would be an influential third wheel. And I think that those are two very different views of the current international system and future global order.
0: I'm interested in the uh, Chinese view of the international order that you describe. I, I noticed that you put a lot of emphasis on the idea of the G2 and uh, a relationship that would necessarily have many... Uh, or at least a large part of of cooperation. I wonder how much you think that's still the case and whether that that Chinese view is changing both as a result of uh, the way the United States is approaching the relationship but also what we're seeing in China or coming out of China.
1: Yeah. There is a perception, particularly in the United States, that China wants global primacy, that its agenda is essentially to supplant the United States and become the power. I don't share that view. I think the Chinese, it's not because they're nice (laughs) that they want to share global primacy. They want to share global primacy because sole global primacy is tremendously onerous, even for a power such as the United States. Now, the United States is arguably the strongest power the world has ever seen. And yet it has struggled. It's losing a 20-year war to one of the weakest, uh, most backward countries in the world in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. It's screwed up royally in Iraq. It's done very poorly. The United States has actually shown up how limited the influence of great powers is in global politics. Now, the Chinese look at this and they recognize that They want to be a leader. When they talk about a leadership role, they talk about a leadership role, not the leadership role. Um, They know that in practical terms, there is no prospect of all that China can supplant the United States. They know that even the attempt to supplant the United States will lead to massive blowback, not just from Washington, but also from Western capitals. And by the way, also from Moscow and New Delhi and Tokyo. So the problem here is that what I think Xi Jinping is trying to do, and indeed what his predecessors are trying to do, is expand China's influence and status within the existing international system. He is not, however, trying to replace it with an alternative world order because China has neither the capacity nor the will to institute such a world order. It's much better to work and game the existing international system, to be, if you like, a co-maker of rules but not the maker of rules because no one else will accept that state of affairs.
0: Mm-hmm. Bobo, but, but what do you make then of the arguments that China is, is not just trying to expand its influence within the system, but actually in the pro, well, it's trying to do that, but in the process is transforming the nature of that system. You look at things like China's objections to what they see as liberal and democratic values in UN documents, the attempts to insert Xi Jinping thoughts, uh, the way in which uh, UN institutions are run uh, when they have Chinese leadership, and the more current allegations that the World Health Organization in particular Uh, was subjected to a lot of Chinese pressure, and that was one of the reasons it underperformed in relation to coronavirus.
1: Look, all the instances you've mentioned uh, support what I have just said, which is that China is working within the existing international system. It's trying to game that system, to tilt that system so that it enhances China's interests. Um, Now, that that course that approach is hardly very moral (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's not exactly a shock all great powers try to do that the united states tries to do that has always tried to do that the soviet union as well and russia increasingly is also trying to work the system in its favor um that i would argue is a fairly natural reaction it's not a moral reaction but it is entirely understood. It's not about trying to create a new system because China knows that, or China believes, that if it can continue to work, manipulate, change, uh, reform, so to speak, uh, the way the international system is run or the way international institutions are run, then that is the most productive line of action. Now, the Chinese also see and this is uh, the Russians see this as well, and lots of other countries. If the United States is allowed to withdraw from international agreements, uh, not abide by the rules of the rules based order, mm-hmm. then why can't we? Because in the 1990s and early 2000s, they both Russia and China were too weak to challenge. Uh, the US-led rules of the international system. They simply didn't. Russia had collapsed and China was still incredibly back. But that situation has changed. As we've seen the relative decline of US power, as we've seen the rise of China and the resurgence of Russia, now policymakers in Beijing and Moscow think, hey, we can actually do something about this system. We don't have to just except what the United States does. And if the United States is going to be exceptionalist, well, Mm -hmm. we can be exceptionalist as well. So let's do it. And so the way I look at the Chinese and and Russian view of the international system is they're not responsible for the disintegration, the unraveling of the international order. But what they certainly do, and sometimes unconscionably, is to take advantage of the weaknesses and omissions of that international order.
0: Turning back to the more optimistic conclusion to your paper, you argue for a more inclusive and flexible order driven by a common imperative in meeting the universal challenges such as climate change, pandemic disease, and global poverty. So in a sense, you're saying that we do, in fact, uh, I and mean, even if China doesn't want to create a new order, we all need to create a new order. I wanted to ask you whether though that future order can be both liberal and inclusive of China and Russia, who often oppose to the liberal dimensions of that order.
1: Sure. I think the bottom line is that if we are to have a world order in future that is in any way liberal, then we need, that is Western democracies, need to demonstrate that liberal values and norm are not just virtuous, they are also effective. We need to show, to prove that our system is more effective and more humane than any of the alternatives. What we can't do is to tell Russia and China how to run their lives. Much as we'd like to, much as we would abhor the appalling treatment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang province or the new national security law in Hong Kong, we need to focus at this stage, number one, on our own game, and on number two, on uh, changing or uh, uh, softening, if you like, Chinese and Russian behaviour in areas of international relations. Those should be our objectives. But the thing is, bottom line, great powers have never been more impotent than they are today. And so there is a real opportunity for middle-level powers such as Australia or small countries for international institutions to play ever greater roles because what we are seeing from coronavirus is that there are certain international challenges for all the talk about national interests and national priorities Fundamentally, these problems are international. They transcend borders. They transcend ideologies. And therefore, much as we may disagree or abhor what China does, we somehow need to find a way to work with them. Because there are certain issues like pandemics, like climate change, like global poverty and inequality that affect us all, regardless of ideology and belief systems.
0: That's great, Bob. Just to ask you, I mean, if you were back in the Australian Department of Foreign Affairs now and you had the opportunity to advise the government on something it could do relatively soon and reasonably practical towards that goal of middle powers uh, playing a more active role to help rebuild the order, what would be that one or two things?
1: I think the most important thing is changing their policy on uh, climate change. I don't think the kind of quasi-denialism that you have at the moment in the Scott Morrison government is sustainable. Mm -hmm. Uh, It might be... It's a very narrow view of national interest. I understand that uh, this is important for uh, Australia's economic growth, but it comes at a tremendous cost to its broader international reputation. Um, That's one thing. Another thing is to be a little bit more critical or questioning of U.S. policies. Um, Let me just go back to a speech that the Prime Minister made to Aspen, where he said, international institutions are most effective when they are driven by and responsive to the society of sovereign states that form them. He's absolutely right there. But then he then says when global institutions and their bureaucracies become unaccountable, they fail in their task to help the sovereign nations that establish them agree a common set of rules to guide their relationship. The problem here is that global institutions are made up of individual nation-states. So the problem of accountability is less with international institutions than it is with certain countries that drive those international institutions. Now that includes China, that includes most of all the United States. It's up to the United States to demonstrate a better moral leadership to give some moral authority to what it does and to think not just in terms of narrow American national interest, but to think in terms of a larger international interest, because only in that way will we uh, be able to make progress on broader international issues. So for Australia, that means being less servile to US uh, national security and geopolitical interests.
0: Great. Thanks again, Bobo, for joining me for today's discussion on global order in the shadow of the coronavirus.
1: Ben, it's a it's a real pleasure to be with you today.
0: COVIDCAST is a limited edition podcast from the Lowy Institute. Thank you to my colleague Jennifer Reinhardt for production assistance. Please keep an eye on our social media channels for details of the next episode of COVID Cast. And you can stay up to date with all the latest developments on coronavirus via the Lowy Institute's widely read digital magazine, The Interpreter. Thank you all for listening today and stay tuned for our next episode.